0: Well, this morning we'll be taking a look at Genesis chapter 30, so please go ahead and open your Bibles up there, Genesis 30. Today we will read about the birth of many more children that will be born unto Jacob. Uh, some of these children will come from Rachel's maid, some from Leah's maid, and we will also see that Rachel will have her first child. and. Leah herself will have more children. Last week we saw where Leah had stopped bearing children after Judah, but we'll find out this week that God will open her womb again, and she will bear a few more children. So in this chapter, the population of the people of Jacob slash Israel is beginning to grow. Remember, in Genesis thus far, it's been all about the beginning of things, right? We've read about the beginning of creation itself, including mankind. We've seen the beginning of marriage, the beginning of sin, and the beginning of a people group that will become to become to be known as the Israelites, right? So let's go ahead and and jump on into it here. But like I said, we're going to see a population boom here. With uh, but we're going to learn quite a bit, I believe, from these verses today. So. Uh, Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So, you see, you really have to kind of Put yourself in the moment here, what's taken place, because what we see in verses 1 and 2 is actually a very heated discussion between Rachel and Jacob. Rachel is frustrated, and we can see here the root of her frustration. This frustration is actually rooted in envy. Do you see that there in verse 1 where it says that Rachel envied her sister? So this was the root cause of her anger expressed toward her husband Jacob. And you know, as I expound on that subject for just a bit here, oftentimes when we get angry or disturbed about something in this life, it would be wise for us to just stop and to think about what may be the root cause of that anger, okay? Because maybe someone is lashing out at you in anger, you know, for for one reason or another. Well, the wise thing to do in that situation is to pause and to speak a word that may turn away that anger because Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. But you see, you do have a choice in the matter when someone lashes out at you in anger. You can turn the anger away with a soft answer, or you can stir the anger up even more with a harsh word in return. And Jacob responds here to Rachel's anger with anger and words that I'm sure were harsh for Rachel to hear. Jacob may have been speaking the truth, but it probably wasn't the right thing to say to Rachel here. But again, we can learn from this story and anger can indeed be traced back to something. In this case here, it was envy. Now, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this topic here. Go ahead and mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of James, James chapter four. Toward the back of your Bibles, you'll find it after Hebrews. We're looking for James chapter four. James chapter four, and we'll start reading in verse one. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war in your members you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain? Now, stop right there because this is something that we should take time to think on as well. When you desire something, that you want for your own good, right? Or for whatever reason you think that you should have it. Something that takes root in your mind and maybe even deeper down in your heart, right? Something that you desire for your own pleasure. Whatever it is, it can consume you. And it may not even be something material, right? A material thing. It may be just something that you long for in your heart, something that you think you deserve. Maybe you just feel like you want acceptance from others, respect from others, more attention from this person or that person, right? It's just something that you want for your own pleasure. Now, of course, again, it can be a material thing, and oftentimes it is in people's lives, like a job promotion, more pay, a new car, new clothing, jewelry, a house, a certain status symbol of some sort like that. Whatever it is, It is so often the root of wars and fights amongst us. And it's rooted in something. It's rooted in self-seeking, right? It's rooted in selfishness and envy oftentimes. But we know from the scriptures that our Lord doesn't want us to, to be living in that way. He wants us in a place of humility, right? A place where we realize, as we've been talking about a lot as we've been gathering together, Uh, that place where we realize that he provides our needs, that he knows what we need and he will provide it for us and we can rest in him and we can trust in him and we don't need to lash out at others, right? We don't need to seek our own. We don't need to strive for things, right? The Lord does not want us in a place where there's turmoil inside of us as a result of things that we desire or things that we think we deserve for one reason, or another. And if you really take some time to think about what I'm talking about, it happens to all of us. We can get like this. Something, some root, or, root of bitterness comes up, some anger, or whatever. And But we just need to pause and say, what is this rooted in? And Lord, how can I get beyond this? And what would you have me to do? Right? Because that's not the example that the Lord has set for us. We know that the Lord's way is a way of humility. It's a way of peace and a way of patience and such, right? We're not to be self-seeking. We're not to be envious, trying to always get what we want or what we think we deserve. But that's kind of opposite of what we see in the world around us. That's what everybody's doing. Everybody's striving for their own. Everybody's trying to get what they can get, right? But if there's strife in your life or you're just mad about this or that, you should take some time to find out the root cause of why you're feeling the way you are, right? And the way you can find out the root cause is to to stop and to go into times of prayer and meditation on the word of the Lord and to seek the Lord and to see how he lived and how he desires us to live. That's written for us in his word. Right. And the more we hide the word of God in our hearts, the more we will grow in our understanding of him and we'll be able to find that we we won't sin against him. We won't behave in such a way right, where we blow up in anger and things like that. And as we flip back to Genesis chapter 30 now, Rachel again is envious. And this envy turns into anger and her anger triggers an angry response from her husband, Jacob. And Jacob says some words to Rachel that probably didn't help. He gave her a harsh answer in a sense and not a soft answer. And in half of this chapter, what we're going to read now, it's all going to be centered around two women having a battle with each other, right? And we see where it was rooted from, from the beginning here. But in so doing, this battle, while having this battle, they're going to take matters into their own hands, and they're going to make some decisions on their own, just kind of the same decisions that we saw Sarah make in the story of Abraham and Sarah, right? And verse three continues. You'll see what I'm talking about. Verse three says, so she said, this is Rachel, right? She's talking to Jacob. So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife, and Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Okay. Again, keep in mind here the state of mind that Rachel is in. She's envious. She's angry. And what we see taking place is now the result of that envy and that anger. Two women will now go to battle against each other. Two wives, two sisters, right? Rachel is not going to let Leah outdo her here. She, uh, she has Jacob's love. We've been talking about that, right? She has Jacob's love, Rachel does. Leah does not, but Rachel is not liking the fact that she cannot seem to bear any children with Jacob. So she comes up with a way to make it happen here. And Bilhah becomes the surrogate mother. Verse six, then Rachel said, God has judged my case. And he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Now again, this is a surrogate mother um, that had the child, Rachel's maid. And when Rachel says here that God has judged my case, maybe she's just given into the fact in her mind that this is the way it's going to be. I'm not going to have children of my own. Whatever she's thinking here, we're really not sure. But remember, with God, nothing is impossible. See, Rachel thinks She's not going to have children of her own. So she takes this route, but with God, nothing is impossible, and God alone is the giver of life. But Rachel now has a son that she can raise, and she names him Dan. The name Dan means judgment. And again, Rachel said there, God has judged my case. So the birth will continue now. Verse seven, and Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. So do you see the competitive nature here of this whole situation? Rachel simply wants the victory over her sister. That's what it's all about here. And again, what did it stem from? Envy. That's where it came from, right? And the name Naphtali there means wrestle, okay? So Rachel thinks that she's getting the upper hand now. She's now done the, the right wrestling move to get in the, 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 the position to win here, maybe, right? She thinks she's getting the upper hand and, and Leah is now going to jump in and say, oh, no, you ain't, right? That, verse nine, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. So again, we're seeing a plurality of marriage here in Genesis, and it's coming as a result of a decision made by people being led by their fleshly desires. This is what it's stemming from, something that they want, right? Because plurality of marriage was never intended by God, and it can cause nothing but strife as we're seeing here, and as we saw with Abraham and Sarah as well, right? Verse 10, and Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. Okay, so the name Gad means troop in a right the military sense. And here again, we see the true colors of these two women shining through as they operate in the manner of the sinful flesh, right? It's an all out. War between Rachel and Leah, and Leah makes that clear by naming her child Gad because this was her strategic move to gain the upper hand now on her sister Rachel. Okay, remember, as I've told you a couple times in the past, the Bible, especially the Old Testament, does not paint a picture to us of perfect people, right? Instead, we read about imperfect people and a perfect God trying to work through that imperfect people for his will to be done. Now, an analogy that I would use this morning uh, is to think about a recipe where you want to make some kind of a dish to eat, right? The recipe is only as good as the ingredients that you use in that recipe. If you try to make something good, but you use bad ingredients, you will still get a finished product, right? You will end up with a dish or something to eat, but it won't be as good as it could be. It won't be perfect. And our perfect God is using imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will on the earth. Okay. And we're just at the beginning of the Bible right now. There's a whole big plan that, that needs to unfold before us that will lead all the way up to Jesus, the Messiah, God's will, right? And Leah and Rachel here in this story, though, they're just fleshing it out. And again, this whole marriage arrangement between a man and more than one woman was not what God intended. It uh, was simply the result of sinful man making their own ill-advised choices in life. And can we do that? Can we get outside of the will of God? Can we make choices without seeking God and just do things in our own flesh? Yeah, we can. And that's how we end up getting in the flesh and getting in envy and anger and all of those things in our lives, right? But in this story of Jacob thus far, we've seen that Jacob loved Rachel. Laban deceived Jacob and gave him Leah. Jacob still loved Rachel, and then married her. Leah lived unloved by her husband, but her fertility gave her an advantage over her sister Rachel. So Rachel plotted to get even, and Leah plotted to get back at her, back and forth, back and forth, right? Sinful men and women being used by a holy God, okay? But here's a key thing that we must understand today. You and me do not live in Old Testament times, okay? We are New Testament Christianity. And for us, Jesus has changed everything. He paid the price for all of this sin, and we must be repentant of our own sin. There's no excuse for us to live like this, okay? We are to remain a people that are spirit-led people, not fleshly-led people, seeking our own will, our own desires, right? When you were born again, you became a Holy Spirit-led person, right? And all that we're reading about in Genesis here is written for our learning. So we do not live like this, but rather that we live as the way the Lord Jesus has shown for us to live today, okay? So this war between Leah And Rachel will continue on here. And verse 12 says, And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. And you can start to guess as we go along what all these names mean. Asher, of course, means happy or blessed. Blessed. Now in verse 14 here, we'll see that Reuben, Leah's eldest son, has now grown up quite a bit. And verse 14 says, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your mandrakes, some of your son's mandrakes. Okay, so even till this very day, the mandrake is a common plant in the fields of Palestine, okay? They say it usually flourishes in the spring and ripens about the time of wheat harvest. You can read about that and study about that. But, but here we see that Reuben goes out during the wheat harvest, right? And he finds some of these mandrakes. And we also see that Rachel knows that he brought them to his mother, Leah, and Rachel wants some of these for herself. Now, what's the big deal with these mandrakes. Well, back in the days that we're reading about here this morning, this plant was known as an aphrodisiac, right? Something that stimulated sexual desire. And Rachel, I'm sure, is very jealous that Leah has these in her possession, and she wants them for herself, and probably wants to give them to Jacob as well. Leah answers Rachel in verse 11 and says, But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Okay, so again, we know that Leah is unloved by Jacob, and she desires nothing more than for him to be with her and to only be with her. Rachel has the upper hand in that Jacob loves her, and Jacob probably spends most of his time with Rachel. So Rachel makes a deal, a deal with his sister Leah here, and offers her Jacob in exchange for Reuben's mandrakes. Verse 16, When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob, a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Ishakar. Okay, so the name Ishakar means there is recompense. Okay. So Leah probably did not like the fact that she gave Jacob to be with her maid Zilpah. So she sought God in this matter, and God heard her and gave her another son with Jacob. And this she considered as her her pay, her recompense from God for the situation. Some some more time goes by now, right? Probably at least two years goes by. That's an important thing to do, especially when you're reading Genesis. Is you've got to pay attention to the time frame that's going by. You just figure, okay, there's nine months with this child, there's the birth and there's this, you know. So some time goes by now and we come to verse 19. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Zebulun. Dinah. The name Zebulun means exalted, right? Zebulun will be the last son that Leah has with Jacob. Leah did have another child with Jacob, but it was a daughter named Dinah. But for some reason here, Leah again thinks that since she has given Jacob six sons and has outdone Rachel at this point, Jacob will now indeed want to be with her only, okay? But again, this will not be the case. And it seems like a sad story, the story of Leah. We will hear her name mentioned some more in the Old Testament as we go on, at at least a handful of times anyway, but this is the last we learn of Leah from a more intimate standpoint of what's really going on in her heart, right? She longed to be loved by her husband, right? She wasn't as pretty as her sister. But as I mentioned to you, Last week, um, she played an extremely prominent role in the plan of God, Leah did, because from Leah came uh, Judah, her son Judah. And from Judah came the line of the Messiah, Jesus. So it's kind of a sad story from a human standpoint as far as how it worked out in Leah's life. But God was greater in the life of Leah than her circumstances. And we must always keep that in mind in our lives as we go through this life as well. God is greater than our circumstances. Our circumstances don't always prove out to be what we want them to be, right? Or turn out the way we want them to turn out here in this life, right? Because we're not home yet. We've not arrived yet. This is not the place where we're ultimately going to be. And we must keep that in mind. God is greater than... Than our circumstances. And God heard the prayers of Leah. God looks upon the afflicted. God looks upon the unloved. And He has great love for them and love and compassion for them. And as the hands and feet of Jesus today, as the disciples of Jesus today, it's what He wants us to do. He wants us to look upon the afflicted and the unloved. He wants us to care for the hearts, for the souls of men and women, right? But you know, Again, with, as with Leah here, we can make the mistake of looking at our own circumstances, our, our own lives, and, and feel like somehow we're missing out. We see Rachel did the same thing, right? You know, we might think we're not getting what we deserve. And with the case of Leah, you know, we, we're not as pretty as the next person, not as handsome, not as talented, not as favored, not as gifted as the next person. But the only thing that matters in our lives Is the will of God and what he has for us as individuals, as he looks upon us. And we need to seek him as individuals, right? Both Leah and Rachel lived a life of striving to outdo one another, at least in this portion of their lives, right? It was all about competition. It was all about getting the upper hand, but that's not what it's about for you. And me today. We simply must bow at the feet of Jesus, confess Him as Lord, and rest in Him, trust in Him, acknowledge Him in all of our ways, right? And He indeed will work things out for good. And now in verse 22, the story moves on, right? And it says in verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. So God doesn't favor anyone, does he? He looks upon and cares for each and everyone, and it, but it's in his own time we see these things taking place. Rachel wasn't missing out. She didn't need to take matters into her own hands and give her husband to her maid. She didn't do this. That was a result of her envy, wasn't it? That was the, the path that she made for herself. And again, I would exhort you to consider your own actions when situations like this arise and, and see what you know what things are what it's really rooted in the way you behave because god now looks at rachel and his will's going to be done in her life she just needed to wait on the lord to trust the lord but she did it her own way and then verse 23 and she conceived and bore a son and said god has taken away my reproach so she called his name joseph and said the lord shall add to me another son so the name joseph means jehovah has added Rachel already has sons that were born with her maid, but here um, God has added to her another son. And it came to pass, verse 25, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service, which I have done for you. Okay, so now the story shifts. And now the story is going to move in a different direction. This chapter here, right? We'll move on now from the battle of Rachel and Leah. And what we'll see here in verses, or what we see here in verses 25 and 26, is that Jacob feels that it's time to move on. He feels that he has done all that he can for his father-in-law Laban. And verse 27 continues, and Laban said to him, please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Okay, so Laban greatly appreciates what Jacob has done. And now that Jacob wants to leave, Laban wants to do all that he can to get him to stay. Now, I have something that I'll share with you here that maybe you can take some time to ponder or to think (coughs) on, right? And that is, do the people that pay you your wages, right? Be that your employer or your customers and such, if you have a business. Do they look at you and realize that they have been blessed or prosperous because of you? right are you a great benefit to them or are you just a pain in the butt to them that they tolerate do your work ethics your attitude on the job and such glorify the lord in the eyes of your employer your coworkers your customers right if not then maybe you should think about trying to correct that Right? Because the book of Colossians speaks to this topic, and I'd like for you to look at it with me now and mark this page and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look down, start reading in verse 23. It says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So do you see that there? It's the Lord that we serve, not men, not women, right? It's the Lord that we work for. He really does care about how we live, how we work, the impression that we make on others. It's Jesus that we live for, right? So we do all that we can for his glory, okay? Because in the end, it's the Lord that we will receive our ultimate reward from, which is eternal life, In heaven, So in the things that we do here in this life, we should do them heartily as to the Lord, as it says in verse 23, always doing our best and allowing others to see who it is that we truly serve in this life, that we might influence them. And and, you know, reach out to them in some way, shape or form, have the opportunity to. But if we're a person that grumbles and complains and all of this stuff there's no there's no witness for Jesus there okay but we're supposed to do all that we do heartily as unto the lord and as we flip back to genesis now this is what happened in Jacob's life this is exactly what took place Laban recognized that the lord had blessed him as a result of Jacob and Laban wants to know what's it going to take now to keep Jacob around and verse 29 here continues and says, So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So what's Jacob saying here? He's saying, Hey, Laban, hey, father-in-law, you have indeed been blessed by what I have done. I haven't just come in to your house and taken from you. I've given to you. I've added to you. This is how Jacob lived in the presence of his father-in-law. He didn't just take, he gave, right? But indeed, he has to provide for his own as well, doesn't he? And you see, it's not a bad thing to ask for what you deserve, what your efforts have proven that you deserve. But again, if you're just a, a, a moocher, someone that takes, but does not give, then you really don't deserve anything. Okay, And again, in the case here with Laban, he knew he was blessed by Jacob. And he wanted to give Jacob more. And Jacob knew he was worth more. So we're going to see some profit sharing that's going to take place here. Verse 31, so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this, Thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flocks today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages." So my righteousness will answer for me in the time to come when the subjects of my subject of my wages comes before me. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. Now, let me pause right there, because to me, this is a pretty cool thing that Jacob has come up with here. Jacob doesn't want more wages. He wants to be able to profit from his work. They always say in economics, profits are better than wages, right? The business owner fares better than the laborer, and that's the way that it should be. If you don't want to be a laborer all your life, then work as hard as Jacob did to put yourself in a spot where you stand out from the crowd, and then you can possibly go off and go on and start your own business and do something, right? If you work heartily as unto the Lord, be a hard, diligent worker. Jacob was a a hard worker, and now he has the opportunity to get something started on his own. He will keep on doing all that he has always done for Laban, but he has now come up with a way to provide for the future well-being of his family, his own family. And the way that he's going to do that is by owning his own livestock here. In Jacob's plan, he will own some sheep and goats and Laban will have sheep and goats. Laban will have the majority share um, because Jacob is only going to take certain of the lambs and the goats and such. But this is Jacob's plan and Laban likes it. Or at least he acts like he he's going to like it here, like he's going to go along with it. In verse 34 Oh, Jacob's or Laban says, oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day, the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his son. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So the plan unfolds a little bit more here in verses 34 and 36. And you can study on this because it takes a little time to get what's happening here. And I've read it through a few times, but it seems to be to me, and like I said, I encourage you to study this on your own, but it seems to me like there's a little twist here. It doesn't seem that Laban really gave Jacob what he asked for here, it seems that he pulls one over on Jacob again, right? He takes the ones that Jacob wanted for his wages and he gives them to his sons to take down the road. So Jacob, in that sense, would have to start from scratch with his own business here, right? Right? Jacob wanted to do what was right, it seemed. But because why do I say Jacob wanted to do what's right? Well, if we look back at verse 33, Jacob said, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. So again, what Jacob is doing here is just being very careful to seem, it seemed like he wants to walk in his integrity, to dot all the I's, to cross all the T's, right? And we know from Proverbs, uh, brings to mind a proverb, um, Proverbs chapter 29, it says, um, seest thou a man diligent in his business, right? He will stand before kings. He'll not stand before mean men, right? So we must always work with the utmost of diligence and integrity, because again, it's the Lord that we serve. And you can take some time to read this plan here and dissect what, what's actually taking place. But What we see, though, is a deal has been agreed upon here between Jacob and Laban. And verse 37 continues and says, Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods, and the rods which he had peeled, he had set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where they came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters and they, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Okay, so we don't know all the details of how this worked, but what we see here is that Jacob is, has come up with some sort of a breeding method, okay? Again, Jacob was diligent. He was successful in his work. So maybe he was just uh, very astute in the ways of breeding livestock. And anytime speckled and spotted livestock came forth, it belonged to Jacob. This was part of the deal, right? Jacob even though uh he would keep his oath for Laban he also was in his own business that was the way the the arrangement was made and he came up with this breeding method for his business here and this method of Jacob's involved taking the branches from the poplar the almond and the chestnut trees and placing them in the drinking troughs of the livestock and this somehow worked and caused for conception to take place Then when the stronger livestock was born, he used his breeding method on those ones and increased his profits. So it was a great business plan in this sense, right? And verse 43 says, thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and he had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So God indeed was with Jacob in all of this. And I'm sure it was God. blessed this breeding method. I'm sure it was God that made this happen. And we'll see that next week as we study chapter 31. You can read ahead and find out what I'm talking about. But God was the reason that this breeding method was successful. Successful. But again, um, Jacob didn't get something for nothing here. That's what we can learn from this. He was diligent in his work. But we've learned a few things today, haven't we? We've learned about the cause and the effects of anger, the way that envy can destroy us on the inside and cause turmoil in us and around us, amongst us, right? Fights amongst us, arguments, even in our marriage and things like that. It's so often rooted in selfishness, right? We've also learned to be diligent, in our work, to work hard and we'll have success, to be good employees, ethical business owners, and to always do everything we do as unto the Lord. Everything we do. And to trust in the Lord and to wait on the Lord. And we don't have to make things happen on our own. Okay? There's no reason for us to fight with one another. There's no reason for us to strive for the things that we want. Let's just rest in Jesus, trust in Jesus, and know that His will will be done, seek Him in prayer, and avoid all the strife, right? But we continue to see that there's so much to learn here when you study the Word of God, if you just take time to do it, right? Both the Old and the New Testament are full of stories that we can learn and and grow from, right? In some things we learn how to live and in some things we learn how not to live, right? But in it all, we learn that God alone is above all and our, and our ways are, are definitely not His ways and our thoughts are not His thoughts. His ways, His thoughts are much higher than ours, right? So I will exhort you again this morning to not let this be the only time that you spend in God's Word this week, dig deeper into the Word of God on your own. You know, don't just take what I say. You know, there, there's things like I say, like this story we read about here. There's a couple different ways you can look at how, how that whole plan worked out, right? But learn from it. You can grow from it because it will speak to you personally, right? God has it all written down for us so that we might know the way that we might know the way to go, right? His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in this dark world that we're presently walking through, right? And something else I wanna say to you all this morning that I don't normally say, and um, that is I wanna ask you to share these sunday mornings teachings with others that you may have access to you can people can find them on iTunes they can find them on SoundCloud uh, we're on Facebook by searching a love outreach you can share a link to that page um, we have a website aloveoutreach.com there are people in different parts of the world that listen to these teachings but it's you know it's the beginning of a new year Right. And oftentimes we make new commitments and do things like that. But the greatest thing that you can do, the greatest New Year's resolution that you can make is to resolve to walk with the Lord more, to go deeper with the Lord and and resolve to share his love with others and to point people to his word that can impact them and, and change their lives. Right. And the thing, though, of of utmost importance that I will say, the last thing I will say here is what we learn when what you learn when you read the Bible, go live it out, go live it. To be, I've said this several times before, I know, but don't be a, a forgetful hearer of the Word of God, be a doer of the Word of God. We just gather as one body, like this, one very small body here, but you know, there's people that you influence and people that you see in your lives that that I'll never see. And that's why I say, well, share the, you know, if if you don't want to share it with them on your own, point them to something like this. Let them go somewhere and, and hear the word of God and begin to study the word of God. But thanks for coming out. I pray you guys have a blessed week and thanks for all your support of the ministry in the past year. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For your great love, God. Thank you. For the love that you have shown us, that you have given your only begotten Son, that whomsoever would just believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God, there's nothing greater than that. There's no greater love than that. There's nothing more that we need, Lord, than your love in our lives. There's nothing more that we need than the knowledge of Jesus Christ because there is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. There's no other way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we know him, Lord, and we can make him known. Lord, I pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Lord that you would just lead and guide us, Lord. But even more importantly than that, Lord, that we would yield to your Spirit's leading, Lord, that we would die to the nature of our flesh more and more each day, that we would take up the cross daily and follow after you, Lord. We see and we've talked about today that many things come from our own envy, Lord, from our own anger, from our own selfish desires, Lord. But Lord, you desire that we would just set aside that sin that so easily besets us. You desire that we would just drop all of that, Lord, and rest in you and trust in you and be led by your spirit. So I pray, Lord, that we will make that commitment in our hearts to do so. And Lord, that you would give us your eyes, Lord, that you would give us your feet and your hands, that we would do your will here on this earth, Lord, that we would not see things the way our fleshly desires see them or the way the world around us see them or the way that it's portrayed to us in the world, Lord. But that we would just see the way it is portrayed to us in your word and that we would live that out, Lord, that we would not be mistaken for hypocrites in any way, Lord. If we profess your name, may we live it, Lord. May we live it out, what your word tells us. So, Lord, we just acknowledge you again in our ways. And we thank you again for your holy word. And as we go forth in this week, Lord, we pray that you would go before us, Lord, and that we would see your leading as the good shepherd, the one who is leading and guiding us through this life by your spirit. We thank you and we pray all of these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.